across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Today is the day, ladies and gentlemen. It's the day when you get to work out what you're doing for Christmas, New Year, and whether you're going to be able to do any Christmas shopping at all ever in this history of the world. That's right, at 11.30 this morning, uh, right here on Talk Radio, the Secretary of State for Health will address the House of Commons and end all the speculation about the tears and the fears of just what kind of lockdown we are all going to be in. I'm in sort of two minds about this this morning, really, because on the one hand, I dare, I dare not really give permission to the government uh, to tell me precisely how I should live my life. But on the other hand, an awful lot of things are going to depend on what they say. If you live in Manchester, for example, and they put you back into tier three, that's not going to be very good news for you. If you're in Liverpool and it goes back into tier two, you're obviously going to be slightly happier. We've just heard from the mayor of Middlesbrough. He said the same thing. If you're in tier two, that's better than going into tier three. But if you're a publican or if you're a restaurant owner, is it better for you actually not to be able to open at all and be told that you get some kind of compensation or uh, that you can only open and serve half the customers with half the food and half the drink and you can't really make any proper money. Will Liverpool emerge better off? Will Manchester stay as a three? And how about London? Will Mayor Sadiq Khan get his way now that he's finally worked out that not allowing restaurants and pubs to open might actually be bad for the economy? Congratulations, uh, Sadiq Khan. Well done. You've finally been listening to talk radio instead of going on that other useless radio station you keep appearing on. We'll bring you that live as soon as it happens right here on talk radio and we'll try and make sense of what it will mean for each and every one of you. What we are hearing is that there have been lots of arguments through the night with backbench Tory MPs who are anti-lockdown and who are demanding that December return some money to beleaguered shopkeepers, small businesses and the hospitality industry. We'll be checking in with commentator Benedict Spence to see what he's hearing from the corridors of power and we'll also get his view on Chancellor Rishi Sunak's £550 billion Covid bill uh, as he revealed to us yesterday. 03444991000. We'll get the latest on the stats and the figures as well of Covid uh, with Dr Lawrence Gurlis and we'll get the view from the north of the border with Willie Rennie, the leader of the Scottish Lib Dems. That's just right. We found somebody north of the border who doesn't think Nicola Sturgeon's doing a brilliant job. We'll also be going over to Northern Ireland to check in with Baroness Howie and we'll find out what she makes of the noises emanating from Joe Biden's bunker in America. 03444991000. Coming up later on, Helen Dale will join us as well. The lawyer and author will give us her take on the lefty meltdown at The Guardian where feminist writer Suzanne Moore has been forced out thanks to her views on the trans debate. She paints a picture of a hideous working environment where far left bullies thrive and free speech is stifled. How terribly unsurprising. What's really baffling though is The Guardian have actually done page one, two and three on Diego Maradona. Really? I had no idea they even knew what football was over there for heaven's sake. Uh, we'll also need to hear from you, of course. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? And what are you being told? You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest great radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Also got some breaking news uh, about Carol Cadwallader uh, from The Observer. You know, the one that writes all these stories about vote leave and how terrible it all is and how the Russians are taking over. Uh, She's apparently admitted uh, on the eve of what was supposed to be a court case today uh, that uh, basically there was no evidence to back up her claims that the Russians financed the Brexit campaign or that Aaron Banks, the businessman, was involved in shady deals with the Russians. One wonders now whether she's going to be able to sell her house to pay the £62,000 of costs which she's going to have to pay uh, for Aaron Banks' uh, lawsuit. We'll have more of that coming up later on. Let's talk to Benedict Spence first of all, though, uh, about all manner of things. Benedict, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very, very well indeed. I mean, I'm sort of in two minds, as I say, about this whole business today, because on the one hand, you know, I kind of want to know where we're going to be uh, at 11.30 this morning and whether I can go back to the pub on uh, December the 3rd. Uh, but equally, I'm, I'm not, I don't really wish my life to be run by Matt Hancock. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's has it been. I don't think that there's ever been uh, anybody who would want their life run by Matt Hancock. But no. I think you're right. It, it's that situation where I think people would just like to know, and with a little bit of time in advance to plan these things, what it is that they're going to be allowed to do and what it is that's going to risk having the police called on them, you know, possibly right. a policeman for the first time in years, uh, <laughs> you know, if they end up breaking, breaking a, a slight lockdown rule. So I think, you know, 
on the one hand, lots of people clamour for lockdowns because it gives them clarity. They know what the rules are. Mm. And that's always the issue, actually, with this, is that they don't actually fancy living under you know, the, the boot of the government, but actually at least they know what the rules are. That's going to be the issue with these new tiers being reintroduced. What does it allow you to do? What doesn't it allow you to do? And, of course, who is going to suffer? Which businesses are going to get bailed out? Which ones aren't? Right. Uh, so I suppose just as you know, it, giving people a month's notice... I mean, Frank, it's the very least that can be done. Well, exactly right. And I know from uh, the last time we had these tiers introduced that some um, publicans, for example, were telling me they'd rather be put into tier three than be stuck in tier two, because at least in tier three, they got proper compensation because they couldn't open rather than having to open, but also serve food, which they maybe didn't do. Well, that's absolutely the case. I mean, being stuck in tier two you know you're allowed to open you're not going to get any help from the government and it's a very you know it's a form of living death mm. actually if, if you're a business like that if you're a hospitality business now as we know actually governments in the uk haven't been particularly kind towards pubs uh, for decades now uh, you know as much as we clamor about them and the public clamor about them the average politician the average civil servant you know from the policies that we've seen over the years doesn't really seem to care too much so i'm not entirely sure why we're surprised the, you know, a, a lot of pubs aren't, you know, being given special comp- uh, you know, dispensation and what have you. Um, but, you know, it, it is going to see a lot more go under. They're going to be told that they have to open, you know, if they want to survive. They're not going to be able to get enough punters through the door. Mm. Uh, and it's going to be it's not going to be a very happy Christmas. But I suppose, you know, sat here, as we've all been saying for a very long time, the economic damage from bailing everybody out indefinitely is going to be huge. Yesterday, we heard that from the Chancellor. It is huge much to the astonishment of so many people who have been calling for these lockdowns to then find, oh, you might have to cut spending in certain areas. Uh, But that's just the reality of the situation. Well, the thing that I found most amazing yesterday was the absence of the word tax. You know, it's a very small word. It's only got three letters. Um, But when is he going to mention it? Well, (laughs) he's going to have to at some point. (laughs) I mean, I I thought it was very interesting when Kathy Newman of Channel 4 News asked him straight up, can you guarantee people that they're not going to be taxed anymore? Yeah. And Rishi Sunak went on this long, winding sort of you know, explanation, as a good politician does. Yeah. Let's be honest. We all know that taxes are coming, tax rises are coming down the line. They are in the same way that we knew that you know what we call austerity in this country was going to have to come, you know, in order to pay for the government's, uh, you know, the government's um, policies over the last few months. And I think a lot of people, we've been saying this from the very start of the pandemic, a lot of people would just prefer it if they were just straight with us, spent a little less time on the grand sort of you know, ideas about you know, how it is that we're going to deal with it and how, we, how, how it is that we're saving the economy, we're protecting the NHS, just be straight with people. Right. How much is it going to cost? What's the pain going to be? Let us know with plenty of time so we can make what provisions we can. Yes, because the trouble is with billions and billions of pounds being spent and announced almost every single week, People have become sort of immured to it, haven't they? They've become basically kind of tone deaf to the point of the numbers where they don't really understand what any of it means. I mean, when he announced yesterday that uh, they were going to rescue a million people and they were going to spend three billion people, three billion pounds rather, on, on retraining them, it turns out for that many people, it's only three grand a piece, which is not very much money when you think about it. There's no money at all. I mean, the, the one that really, of course, stood out for me was a couple of weeks ago when Boris Johnson announced that there were going to be X many thousand new green jobs oh, yeah. you know, created. And I just thought, well... All what, in Grimsby, exactly apparently. Is, yeah, what exactly is a green job and where are the green jobs going to be? Are they going to mean that sort of, you know, entire communities of people are going to have to up sticks and move to where these green jobs are? And mm. there's no guarantee that the green jobs, whatever this means is enough to live on. It's just this sort of really abstract way of talking, oh, we're going to create this many jobs, we're going to reskill these many people, but what in? But all these eco-nutters keep telling me, I mean, I read a piece in the uh, FT the other day, which has gone incredibly woke in the last couple of years, I don't know what's happened to it, but basically all about how great Grimsby is now as a town, uh, because it's the model for green uh, recovery and green industrial revolution. But in fact, there wasn't one fact in the story that pointed to one job being created, never mind thousands. Oh, poor old Grimsby has lost the fishing industry and now his compensation has got a non-existent green industry. Yeah, yeah. It would be a dreadful place. And just up the road in Hull, they're manufacturing these wind turbines. Oh, great. So they can drive them through the town when they get awarded City of Culture. I mean, it's all sort of smoke and mirrors, isn't it? It it is, really. And I mean, you know, of course, last night, the the National Grid put out tweets saying that 
we were close to <laughs> so, yeah, we were close to close to capacity, and everybody started thinking, you know, 2020 is already pretty bad. Are we going to have blackouts? Yeah. You know, what is this? Because apparently there weren't enough renewables. Well, also, if we're running out of uh, electricity demand. now, what's it going to be like when everyone's got an electric car? Well, exactly. I mean, exactly. for God's I mean, sake. If there are plans, if there are actual plans in place for dealing with this that will lead to tangible jobs that can be proven, please, by all means, let us know. What people do not want is to just hear these broad sweeping strokes about how we're going to create X many jobs, but never telling us what that's going to be in, how, you know, what sort of economic tier those people are going to be in, because, you know, 20,000 jobs could be created on the minimum wage Mm. and people losing their jobs, you know, currently earning above the minimum wage. That's not exactly good news for those people. You know, I think a lot more people just like a little more honesty, a little more straight talking about this. But as we skate over the kind of uh, the general landscape, isn't it sort of mildly reassuring that the union chiefs are still sitting high on the hog, you know, with their six figure salaries, you know, moaning and groaning about the fact that the public sector was once more being stifled because they can't be given a pay rise. Oh, isn't it? It's delightful, isn't it? We we love to see we love to see somebody milking the system. Um, but uh, really, the whole thing about you know public sector pay freeze. I mean, obviously, you can't be giving, for example, doctors and nurses pay cuts or anything like this at a time like this. You know, politically, that would be very bad. Yeah. But I do think that there just has to be a recognition that actually, always in this country, in sort of the modern era. It is not the sort of the, you know, the mass unionized workers that suffer the most. As we have seen, the people losing their jobs are the self-employed, the people who are you know, in, in the private sector. Actually, you know, that's where the most volatility is. And you know, I understand not wanting to you know, hammer people any harder than is necessary at a time like this. But there does have to be an understanding, as indeed with the discussion over the, the cutting of the aid budget. Actually, the country cannot continue to spend beyond its means having essentially, you know, sort of plunged itself into a permafrost for the past 12 months. Well, exactly. You, can't, you, you just can't justify it. No, but also I'm amazed that some of these politicians, and listening to Andrew Mitchell on the news there, you know, last heard of, you know, calling a police officer a pleb as he tried to wheel his bicycle out of Downing Street. You know, this is a guy who has no sense whatsoever of what ordinary people think. You know, he thinks it's a really bad idea for us to cut uh, the, the foreign aid budget because we need to be at the forefront of world leadership. Well, sorry, I think we need to fix the economy here first. Thanks. Well, this is the thing. Actually, in my opinion of international aid has always been if Britain is not going to be a superpower in the traditional sense, we're not going to have the same sort of military impact to throw our weight around. Mm. Well, how is it that you assert your power? It's through things like international development. It's through things like investing in other countries, building up good relations, trade, that sort of thing, of which international aid is very important. But let's be let's be completely honest here. As you say, if the institutions that serve the people back home aren't even working how can you justify that you know let's be honest here you look at you know things like for example the 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 ministry of justice which is always the one that sort of gets my goat Mm. you know we now have we now have up to three year waiting periods for trials we have all manner of crimes burglaries assaults they don't get investigated and we've already heard the nonsense coming from this government that you know it's largely due to the pandemic actually this has been going on for years now yeah you know actually it has nothing to do with the pandemic and, you know, it, it's had something like 40% cuts since David Cameron came in. Yeah. How can you justify telling victims of crime, people in areas that are being under-policed, how can you justify saying, well, we're going to spend X many billion on international development, up to one-sixth, by the way, gets siphoned off almost immediately. Mm. How can you justify that when you're saying, actually, we can't police your towns, we can't guarantee that your rights will be protected, that you'll get justice? You yeah. can't. And also, and if you're trying to get a court trying to get a court date is even more ridiculous. I mean, you know, the whole fuss about Shemima Begum at the moment at the Supreme Court as to whether or not she should be allowed to come back and, and fight her, her, her case to become a citizen again. You know, you might as well just feed, you might as well just say yes and feed it into the legal system. It's about five years before they'll ever hear the case. Well, I'm sure that's why she's quite so keen to come back and fight her case, because actually it, you know, it, it would absolutely play to her strength. But you're right. This is the thing. If justice, amongst other things, is one of the things upon which the British state is supposed to be mm. founded, the cornerstone, and it's one, meant to be one of the things, our justice system, that made us the great nation that we were. It was meant to be a precedent for the rest of the world. 
you know, amongst other things. Well, this is the thing. If these things are rotting from the inside, you can't sit there in the House of Commons and say, well, we're going to knowingly give away X amount of money that we know will be spent by countries like India that has its own space program mm. on all manner of things that isn't necessarily accountable. You know, it goes to countries like Nigeria, which has a vast amount of poverty, but actually also a vast amount of wealth that yeah. is being stolen by the plutocracy at the top. You can't justify it to the British public without you know, far more scrutiny and honesty about what is going on. And I think right now, as we hit, as is being pointed out, one of the worst recessions we're about to hit uh, in living memory, you can't sit there and say, oh, well, we have to maintain this. Oh, but by the way, your children's schools are going to get less yeah. money. You know, you're not going to get you know, to see a police officer if you're burgled. You, know, you can't sit there and justify it. No. Also, it's rather disingenuous and, and naive, is it not, to make out that we can go into some African country, offer them the equivalent of about two quid, uh, when China has already bought lock, stock and barrel every single mineral right and every single kind of, uh, um, you know, and, and structural change and administrative structure in the country. Well, the great irony of all of this is until very recently, and as far as I'm aware, still still now, we do give international development aid to China. Yes, yeah, that, we do. That's one, of, that's one of the staggering things is as Britain and the West have sort of retreated from its post-colonial role in trying to you know, establish elements of development in its former, in its former ter- territories, as we've stepped back from that, China has just filled the void you know, with fabulously... You know, amounts of money. I mean, I remember last time I was in Kenya seeing the infrastructure projects that mm. were being built. There. And it's the whole way across that continent, the whole way across Central Asia, the whole Belt and Road Initiative. It's worth a vast sum of money. And actually, you know, we have already, as it were, given up our position of supremacy. The West has given up its position of supremacy, with the exception of the United States, mm. in a lot of these areas. And so you have to say, if this aid is going to be going towards developing soft power abroad, it needs to be done very strategically, very carefully. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with having you know, a brief pause and a reassessment of how we do that. No, I don't think there's any problem with that at all. And there's no necessity whatsoever, and certainly no mandate from the electorate for the government to spend money in that region. But let's talk a little bit about Boris Johnson, because once again for him, um, it's been a very strange couple of weeks where he's been working from uh, inside the secret uh, bunker of Downing Street, uh, occasionally losing his Zoom connection to the House of Commons. Um, Mm. How much pressure are you hearing he's being put under by the backbenchers? Because obviously much of what Hancock will do today uh, may depend upon what uh, pressure has been brought to bear on the Prime Minister. I mean, there's a fair amount of it. I mean, the great irony, of course, of all of this is, and it's always the case really with Tory MPs, isn't it? It, They're in favour broadly of the lockdowns, but never for their region because they understand the economic impact and damage that it's going to have. But I suppose really the issue then is, If they're all in the same boat, where they all want there to be a lockdown, just not for their area, it makes it a little bit more difficult Mm. for them to get their way. So whilst there is certainly a lot of pressure on on the prime minister, to be honest, it's perhaps I wouldn't have thought it would be as it's not quite as great as it was. We also have to remember, really, you know, building up to the Christmas period. And I know we've had a lot of debate about the rectitude of things being lifted for Christmas. But actually, Christmas is economically a, a vitally important time of year mm. for the country. So it, it doesn't really matter how much you want to impose the lockdown, how much of you know, a pro-lockdown person you are. Even in good times, a lot of businesses rely on the Christmas period to make ends meet. And it was always going to be the case, therefore, that we were going to have these sort of, uh, you know, the lifting of the lockdown in order to open things up to let people spend their money. Uh, but I think a lot of people will get their way afterwards, uh, you know, in January and February. I think we're set for another, probably another national lockdown, or at the very least, you know, an increase to a tier four lockdown that most of the country will be put in. Uh, that's what I suspect is probably going to come. Yes, I think you may well be right. Unfortunately, Benedict, thanks very much indeed for talking to us. Benedict Spencer, the political commentator on the whys and wherefores of what will happen later on today. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Let's take a trip up north of the border to a man I haven't spoken to for quite some time, Willie Rennie, leader of the Scottish Liberal Democrats. Willie, a very good morning to you. Very good morning. How are you? Now, I can say to you, I don't know if you'll remember this, uh, welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, which used to be situated in, uh, uh, in, in, the, uh, in, the, in that big industrial estate uh, in the South Giles, just outside of Edinburgh. But, uh, but that was many years ago. A very fine place. I passed it on the train this morning. Oh, did you? Great. Well, 
I was reminded of, of, of your um, your rather good sense of humour when you tweeted out about Ian Blackford um, uh, the other day after his rather uh, ill-judged tweet about the photographer up in the up in the Highlands. It seems extraordinary that he could get away with that, doesn't it? Well, it is, and I don't think he has got away with it because I think everybody's running a distance, including the, the nationalists. Mm. Um, I mean, he's got form on this. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, there was people at the... There was kind of thugs at the border shooting abuse at cars who were travelling over yeah. the border. Um, and he endorsed their sentiments, which was quite extraordinary. So he's got form on this. Um, and I just wish he would stop it because there's enough anti-English sentiment in Scotland as it is without him having to. Well, exactly right. I mean, we've obviously talked about the whole situation with the SNP in Scotland quite a lot on this show. But I mean, how is it actually working at the moment when uh, supposedly, according to the First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, you cannot travel to Scotland if you are in England? How, are, they, are they policing that in any way? No, I mean, the police, to be to be fair, I've actually taken quite a light-touch approach to it. It's trying to encourage people to do the right thing rather than enforcing it. Um, they put it into law. Um, effectively, it's not too different from what's in England. Mm. Um, so I've not got too many problems with that, but I think we need to make sure that we, we have the right approach so it's encouragement rather than enforcement. Right. And I'm seeing a story this morning uh, being reported in Scotland that there's some suggestion that, that Christmas bubbles must not be larger than eight. Um, and I'm sort of slightly confused and a bit frustrated at how different policies are in all four nations of the United Kingdom. It seems to me that, you know, they should be more similar, shouldn't they? I, I think it's... I mean, we have kind of diverged some months ago and I suppose we've got to try and keep a bit of consistency within each country so that people understand the rules for their area mm. and it's reasonably simple in Scotland, you can put in your postcode into a postcode checker and you can find out what you're supposed to do in your area every time it changes however my inbox gets flooded with inquiries and the exceptions I mean today we've just found out that the rules don't really cover the fact that the ferry leaves Lerwick in Shetland on one day when we're in the five-day period for Christmas, right. arrives in Aberdeen the next day. So <laughs> are those people going to be breaking the rules or not? Right. So those kind of things keep getting thrown up, and it's really important to try and clarify them as quickly as possible in each you know, region or nation of the country. Well, right, because if you've got family in Edinburgh and you've got family in Glasgow and you live in Stirling, it's not that clear what you can do, is it? Yeah, it's not an awful lot, actually, that you can do just now. You're kind of discouraged from going to any other house because the rates were increasing quite substantially. Thankfully, it's going a bit down now. We've mm. managed to, to flatten the curve a bit and it's on the way down. But we can't live like this forever. What we need is a much more sustainable way of making this happen. That every time the virus goes up, instead of having the proper testing and tracing regime in place to hunt it down and drive it out, we sh you know, we've got this kind of crude lockdown measures that you know, are crippling many businesses and causing massive havoc in people's social lives. Yeah. So get the apparatus of government right rather than constantly resorting to these lockdowns. Well, could you not have a word with your man in Westminster, Mr Davey, and say to him, look, you know, maybe you should try voting against the government occasionally? Uh, yeah, he does. Uh, and so do we. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm talking about in terms of the lockdown. Pandemic, right? You've got to try and uh, make sure that you're, you're doing the responsible thing rather than just voting against the government. But, you know, Boris is not handling it especially well, so I suspect he's voting against the government more than I am up here. No, but I mean, the point is, is that we will have another vote next week. It may well be that if there is lockdown imposed, it could be diverted and it could be reversed if enough people vote against it. And there, yeah, there might be but, plenty there might be plenty of Tories who will vote against it. And I think if if you want to be responsible, you've also got to think about people's businesses, people's livelihoods, you know, people's mental health. It's not just about the spread of the disease, which is not killing that many people. Yeah, but, but we are where we are, Mike. Um, you know, if we had the apparatus in place to stop this from happening, then we wouldn't need the crude lockdowns. But the government on both sides of the border have been incompetent on this. They haven't really got up to speed. They didn't use the summer well to get the apparatus in place to hunt down and drive out the virus from our communities. So now we are where we are. So I think you probably have to support the kind of measures for next week rather than just an automatic lifting. But we haven't got the other protections in place to save people's lives. And what will happen in Scotland if, say, for example, um, the announcements are made today by Matt Hancock, I presume that will only apply to a large extent in England, will it? So Nicola Sturgeon will then impose her own tears, right? Yeah, she's got a statement today at uh, later on, about 20 past 12, which I'll be part of. Right. Um, so she'll be setting out some of the Christmas arrangements um, for Scotland, which will not be too dissimilar 
that you know we have extended households whereas you have bubbles you know we have it for single people you've got it for whole households and families and so there's a, a difference north and south of the border but you know as long as it's explained clearly in each country i think we can cope with it mm. we want as much similarity as possible especially at christmas when people are crossing borders which is why the call that we made earlier on this year for a christmas plan was eventually adopted by all four nations and governments of the the country and now we've got this plan in place so i think that's a a good thing a step yeah. right well i spent last christmas in scotland funnily enough but i'm not coming this year in case i meet ian blackford at gretna green <laughs> waving a flag at me. <laughs> but let me ask you just one final question, Willie. What is going on with this inquiry into the Alex Salmon situation? Because I'm reading today that the SNP have failed to hand over key documents, uh, which is basically stymieing the whole investigation. Why are they doing that? Well, they've obviously got something to hide. Um, and it's a terrible saga. It's been going on for weeks and weeks and weeks where the government... Um, are voted against in Parliament. We all combine together and say you need to release the legal advice and the government says we're considering it very seriously and we have to have another vote to remind them that what we had said before. So the government should just come clean because this is what's at the heart of this. It's half a million pounds of taxpayers' money right. that was wasted in a, in a court action um, and lost. And secondly, um, a number of women um, who had to go to court um, had obviously um, suffered in, in many ways. Um, and we need to remember that those those people are at the heart of this whole investigation. And we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. And that's why we need to get to the truth. And, and clearly the question is, it's one of those, you know, what did she know and when did she know it, right? Yeah, that's part of it. And some of the judgment as well about whether to pursue the or continue the action that Alex Salmond had taken uh, against the government about the the process, the disciplinary process of sorts, the complaints process within government, uh, which he eventually won in the court of session. That was separate from, remember, the, the legal case in the, in the High Court. Um, but yeah, so that's at the, the centre of all this. So we just need to get to the truth of what went on you know, for the sake of these women. Well, it would be a nice thing if they actually cooperated with their own investigation. But Willie, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Willie Rennie, leader of the Scottish Liberal Democrats, saying that basically he doesn't have a lot of faith in either government on either side of the border uh, in terms of the way that they're handling this particular pandemic. And certainly it's good to hear from somebody in Scotland uh, who doesn't just bang on about how brilliant Nicola Sturgeon is and how great a job she's doing, because not everybody thinks that. Trust me. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Time to say very good afternoon to Baroness Hoey. Kate, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Now, I'm still a bit confused, I have to confess, um, about what how, how this all kind of rolls out into the, uh, into the four nations of the United Kingdom, because presumably um, Nicola Sturgeon will take this information and she'll make her pronouncements in the next hour or so. Uh, uh, and it, the same will happen in Wales and the same will happen uh, where you are in Northern Ireland. Yes, and uh, I'm, I'm a bit confused having heard a little bit of uh, all that. It sounded like football results reading out <laughs> lot through you. It really did. Um, well, the Northern Ireland, of course, is going from tomorrow. Northern Ireland is going into what would be called a, a full-scale lockdown again for two weeks. Right. And that would mean no shops that, unless they're essential. And there's always this argument about who decides what's essential. No shops will open, pubs will closed. Um, but we've had a week here where everyone has been able to do practically anything so the whole thing's been a bit chaotic and i think the reason of the two-week lockdown was obviously uh, there was an increase but also to get us ready for the christmas period the idea was that if there was a a full-scale two-week lockdown that that would mean that people could then you know mix at christmas but we're waiting for the um, final uh, results on that and you know i i feel like everybody else completely confused about all the different tiers. Yes. Well, I, I mean, I had to ask Charlotte Ivers, our political correspondent, what does tier two mean now in yeah. London? Because apparently it doesn't mean what it meant before. Because before yeah. it meant you could go to the pub for a drink. Now, apparently, you can't go to the pub unless you're going to eat as well. Yes, and then you're allowed to be outside with six people. 
but doesn't say whether they're the same households or not. No. You know, the, the, the worry about the Christmas thing and the five-day thing, I think that does affect the rest of you know, people who are coming from England, say, to Northern Ireland. If it's a five-day period, um, if you can't get a flight, and there are very few flights now operating to Belfast, which means that you might have to go by train and boat, which, you know, by the time you get there, two of your days have gone. So the whole thing is, is uh, you know, I think the reality is that people will be sensible, but at the same time, they are not going to be absolutely hidebound by every single little bit of restriction because there are just so many anomalies. Well, that's right. And also, as I say, I mean, my, my main misgiving with all of this is the figures that they're operating with and the data they're using to make these judgments. You know, I can't explain, for example, and neither seemingly can anybody else, why Kent's figures have gone up so much. I just heard that there that just seemed ridiculous given there had been a complete a complete lockdown um, now no one really has been able to give a satisfactory criteria for why they're deciding certain things and obviously the more people who are tested the more people are going to to show up with with symptoms yeah. or, or with with having COVID but it doesn't mean they've got symptoms and it doesn't mean that they're going to be particularly ill or even that they're going to pass pass on so i you know i said before and i've said it again i honestly do think it's time for a new um a new broom a new mm. health secretary yes uh, you have said I, that before and i think if they had know, taken your advice just, the last time you'd said it they might be in a better place yeah I, I i just think we need the public now are getting in my view they're getting well apart from being confused which we all are they're actually getting rather tired mm. of the same old story being put through and not understanding it well it is exhausting isn't it i mean i actually did a kind of slightly tongue-in-cheek explanation of what all the rules now mean for what you can do at christmas time and three different households and all different bubbles but now it depends on whether you're in three or two or one um you know can you travel over the border in scotland you know, it really, it, I know that they have to, and I have some sympathy, you know, don't get me wrong, uh, with the people trying to administer all of this. But if you do look at Kent, to go back to that again, you know, North Kent, which is basically South London, is a very different place to sort of rural Kent, which is further south. And you can't really lump both of them together, can you? Yes, and, and there are parts of, of, of southern England where, you know, around the Bournemouth area where there's hardly any any issues at all. Mm. Um, I suppose the positive thing, if we want to be positive, is at least... England is now out of a total lockdown uh, and, 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 you know, things are going to be better for some people. But, you know, if you've been in tier one before the lockdown and suddenly you're in tier three, then you really are going to be questioning who is making these decisions. Yes, exactly right. But there doesn't seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel, despite um, what, uh, what Matt Hancock said, at least for the first time that, you know, we're seeing the, the, the end of this, perhaps. Jonathan Ashworth not quite going along with that because, of course, Labour have been a bit schizophrenic through this whole pandemic, haven't they? They've, they've on the one hand, kind of agreed with the government's measures, but then said that they're not doing it the right way. I mean, they've said that they're not going to make political football out of it and then, of course, carry on. And then they do, yeah. <laughs> but that's, that, that's um, you know, that is the nature of politics. But I think we will find, if there is another vote on all of this, that it might well be that it, you know, it's not going to be defeated, but I think it might well be that there are more people who are prepared to, um, to vote uh, against um, just to make, a, uh, you know, make their voice heard and to mm. show that there are some people who are questioning. I mean, we've seen some awful incidents of um, the way the police have acted in, in particular cases. And, and that's, that also is, you know, at the end of this, I think our, our police force are going to be held in a lot less, um, um, you know, feeling that, they, that people trust them because yeah. they've had to carry out and do things that we can't understand why they've done it. Yeah. And as I said about Liverpool to Charlotte, you know, it's all very well saying, well, the reason Liverpool's come out of it is because of all the testing that they've done and because they managed to kind of beat the virus. But actually, yeah. all the testing has been done retrospectively. That means, you know, two weeks ago, perhaps, there's less people infected. Doesn't mean two weeks from now there won't be more people infected. Well, I've, I've genuinely never understood the whole testing because, I mean, I could be tested today and be perfectly, perfectly free. And then tomorrow I, I might think, oh, well, I'm free now. I don't need to do anything different. And I... I you know, you can pick it up wherever. So um, I think the testing, it, it, I think the testing makes people feel better. I think that's part of it, that it's, you know, if, if there's a lot of testing going on, then people feel that it must mm. be helping. Right. Um, 
whether it actually is or not, I'm not. I'm not. But I spoke to a doctor this morning in London, uh, Lawrence Gerlis, who's always very good on the ground and sort of giving us a, a feel for what's going on in GP surgeries. And he said at the height of this in March and April, he had 40 to 50 patients who were off uh, and ill with COVID, who were, you know, bedridden by it. Now he's got one. And I think yeah. that says it says it all. Really. But that never gets, I mean, you have highlighted that and you're very good about highlighting some of the positive things, which is why people are listening to your programme because they don't want doom and gloom that they're getting on the, exactly. the BBC. And, and, and those are the kinds of things that just don't get in. We never hear how many people have recovered. And, you know, we, our hospitals, we kind of had this image that they're all absolutely packed full of people with COVID, you know, they're not, the no. statistics show they're not, but but we're not getting that across and because it's part of the whole, and maybe understandably, that's what the government want. They want people to feel almost frightened so that they will do what they've been asked to do. Um, but it doesn't always work like that because people have got common sense, as we always talk about. Well, that's right. Somebody sent me um, a tweet, actually, I can't find it right now, but from Northern Ireland saying that they've had something like £2 billion in Northern Ireland for COVID in terms of the money that's been handed out. Uh, and they said it would be cheaper to have bought everybody in their own island for a million quid apiece. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's absolutely right. And, and you know, it's costing, it's costing a fortune. And we saw that with the, the Chancellor's uh, statement yesterday, just how, how you know horrific the, the debt is going to be and, and how much um, it's it's going to ultimately, at the moment, it's not going to be costing individuals much more, but they are losing out in terms of jobs and the economy. It's just, it, it, I think he was very honest yesterday about just how bad things are going to be in terms of the economy. Yeah, I think that's right. And and I'm wondering when they're going to start mentioning taxes and all of that. But let's talk a little bit about uh, about the Irish situation, because Joe Biden, uh, for, for no apparent reason, came out and said something which I thought was quite provocative. Um, over the last few days about their uh, making sure that there will never be a border in Ireland. I mean, one, I don't think it's it, it's time for him to start saying anything like that at the moment, is it? No, and uh, but I think, you know, he is... He, we have to remember that the uh, Irish lobby in America is very, very uh, substantial. Mm. And, of course, he, he played the Irish cards in terms of votes uh, and so on. So... For a period, obviously, he is going to be saying more of this. I think once he's actually in uh, as president and he is um, surrounded by perhaps people who are a little bit more aware of what has really been going on, he might, you know, quieten down. My concern is that this is all part of what he, I mean. He, we know that he is very uh, pro the European Union, mm. and of course, at the moment with the negotiations going on making it difficult and more um, controversial about the Irish border is, is something that he may well have been pushing almost deliberately. But the idea that there's going to be a border of any sort uh, between the Republic and Northern Ireland is just nonsense. Even mm. if we end up with no trade deal, uh, the only way there'll be a border then would be if the Irish government decided they wanted yeah. to, to put something up. Uh, but I think I think he's, you know, he's got a lot of problems in his own country. I think he would be much better to concentrate on on trying to sort out the uh, terrible COVID situation mm. there. And uh, the fact that, you know, the country seems to be incredibly divided. So perhaps he should just stay well away from Irish matters. Yes, I think that would, be, that would be wise. Yeah. Also, I think those people who you and I both know will jump on anything which is in any way pro-EU and make a big thing mm. of it in this country. Um, you know, these are the same people who uh, would like to have seen uh, Biden win because they hope that he will somehow destroy Brexit. And it won't happen, which, of course, is nonsense and, and pie in the sky. But equally, um, you know, this is a guy who has also said he wants to renew uh, alliances and he wants to be a healing force. So that doesn't I don't think that, that, as far as I'm concerned, sets him against policy from the UK in any way, shape or form. He wants to be friends with the UK. Clearly, he, he made that call to Boris Johnson. So that's you know, he's not going to try and affect Brexit. No, I, and he couldn't at this stage, really. But also, uh, I think he... Um... Uh, you know, he. It, it'll be interesting to see who appoints as his um, ambassador to mm. uh, the United mm. Kingdom because that will that will be important. But also, I think you know the strength of the relationship between two our countries, our two countries, is huge yeah. and, and and goes back such a long time. And we get this discussion every time there's a new president about will it spoil the relationship? Um, I I can't see that happening. Um, and and I just think that um, you know we need to. Uh, wait and see what how he actually operates when, when he becomes president and um, maybe an invitation from her majesty the queen is usually the thing that actually ends up 
sorting out American presidents, isn't it? Well, yes, absolutely right. They always fall for that one. And the other thing that very few people have mentioned this week, uh, but I, but I, it came across my desk, as it were, is the fact that our vaccine availability now uh, is actually better than the rest of the European Union because we're not in it anymore. Um, and so we haven't had to fall prey to the, whatever their um, their conditions were of, of, of buying in vaccinations. So there's already one benefit that, that very few people are actually talking about. Yes, and, and again, we don't get much media attention to benefits and there will be so many more benefits. You know, I think that that uh, that sort of entrepreneurialism and the, the, the independence of thought that we've mm. got in the United Kingdom is, is the kind of thing that we will now be able to let loose, which we couldn't do uh, in many, many ways with the European Union restrictions and rules. Um, and, and that it, it will, you know, gradually there are things happening and it's very difficult for those who've been absolutely ardent remainers to start accepting that actually there's some very good things that are going to be happening. Um, so I've, I've, I've got a lot of confidence. I mean, I'm obviously disappointed in Northern Ireland that part of, you know, Northern Ireland is staying in it. In, in, in the meantime, in, in uh, having to combine with EU rules for a while. But I'm hoping that that will gradually change and mm. um, the people who voted leave here yes. will also see the benefits of, of leaving. Yeah. Um, Exactly right. And as far as the whole Brexit talks go, I mean, it's, they've hit a bit of a standstill at the moment, haven't they, because of the COVID um, infections that have happened. But have you got any concerns about the fishing or anything like that? Well, I will be, I will be very angry. I won't just be disappointed. I'll be very angry if uh, there is any um, rowing back on the commitment that we need to have control of our own fishing waters. But that doesn't mean that we can't afterwards discuss sharing certain things. And obviously that that happens with countries like Norway who mm. do have control of their own fishing waters. What I don't want to see is us giving up things in advance and giving up things almost as a way of getting something else. I, I can't stand this, you know, well, we'll give you this if you give us that. Right. Fishing has to be a... a, a I, I'm, still, I'm still hopeful that we'll get some kind of uh, trade deal. But as I've always said, and I think a lot of us have said, it's not worth it if it's not going to be in our in our uh, benefit and if we are going to end up having still got some form of EU control over what we do. And that's why I've, I've got a lot of confidence in David Frost, but ultimately he will come back and will probably say, Prime Minister, this is as far as I can go. This is mm. all I can get. This is the end. Now you have to decide um, what you're going to do. And that's when I think um, all of us across the country who were leavers have got to stay um, true to the faith and, and, and make mm. sure that we are not going to put up with it. No, if, absolutely. Uh, absolutely right. And finally, last time you and I spoke, uh, Kate, we talked a bit about the football. Unfortunately, Northern Ireland didn't get the result they were looking for no, that night. But the Scots are absolutely up. In, yes, uh, I'm very pleased for Scotland. Yeah, right. I think everybody is, because the one thing you can guarantee in a tournament, uh, if Northern Ireland or Scotland are there, it's always a lot better uh, as, yes. a, as, a, as a spectacle, apart from anything else, and much more fun is had. But what about Maradona? I mean, I don't mm -hmm. suppose anyone was particularly shocked by the news yesterday. Um but what I really did enjoy was watching all of the, the the footage of his of his football, and I saw and I thought one thing: somebody put a tweet out um, of Maradona with the ball and standing in front of him were six members of the Dutch football team trying to stop him, and he said this pretty much sums the guy up. Yeah, no, he was. I mean, he was a of of his generation. He will go down as 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 the best footballer, you know, of of his time, and uh, competing probably with my uh, my one would be George Best, yes. of course. From from Belfast, but I mean Maradona was a different era, and also he um, he did manage. I went to Mexico actually. I was in Mexico for the World Cup in mm. 1986 because um, wow. Northern Ireland had qualified. Yeah, uh, and I, I but I was watching Northern Ireland, Brazil, and various other. But at Wonderful. the same time, Maradona was what everyone was. That was who everyone was talking about in Mexico, and um, you know we we don't get sports people, many many sports people. Who, whose name is known all over the world mm. and will be, you know, whatever the problems about the goal that England lost to, although he scored a brilliant goal just after he, this hand of God um, yes. goal, he sold another one. So England would have lost anyway. And I think people respect the fact that um, he 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 just had brought magic yeah. to the to the game. Oh, he was absolutely unique, wasn't he? Utterly unique. And people. But it's very was... sad, isn't it, that he, you know, he obviously had problems like a lot of very 
famous rich sportsman. Yes. And well, I think, well, I think, yeah, I mean, because of where he came from and he came from that. I mean, to me, the story that kind of um, is the best story of, 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 of Maradona is his time in Napoli, you know, when he actually not only raised the, the standard of their football so they could win the, the, uh, the Italian league, but he also kind of transformed Naples while he was there, didn't he? Yes, he, 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 he well, everybody knew who he was and what he was doing, and he was able to be a symbol for all sorts of good things. And, and uh, you know, you're just looking at those pictures now that I'm, I'm seeing. It's just, it, it does, he was so young looking too. And that was the other thing. He was young when he was, when he became, when he played mm. first for his country. Um, and I think there'll be a lot of people, uh, everybody's forgotten the, the bad things that he did and the sad things. Yeah. But, um, we, that's the end of another era, really, in, in terms of famous footballers. No, of course. But a wonderful uh, a wonderful story. Sad. Uh, some wonderful stories always have sad tinges as well, I suppose. Baroness Harry, great to talk to you again. Thank you very much indeed. See you soon in London, we hope. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Always great to talk to Baroness Hoey. Such a voice of common sense. And she, as she said, would be very, very angry uh, if this is not sorted out uh, as far as Brexit is concerned. But let's talk to Howard in Derbyshire, uh, who's a pub owner, and find out what he makes of it all. Howard, very good uh, afternoon to you. Oh, hi, Mike. Thanks for uh, taking my call. Not at all. So you've got five pubs in, in Derbyshire, sort of spread out or fairly close yeah, together? Yeah, Derby, Derbyshire, Staffordshire, um, but near the, so between Derby and Ashbourne and uh, out towards uh, Litchfield Way. OK. That's well, I'm, I'm checking my, you know, this is what we have to do now. I feel like some kind of wartime conciliary, you know, checking the old list to see where yeah, you are. So, so how is I'm it affecting afraid, you? Well, I'm afraid all five are uh, into Tier 3. Right. Um which is uh, sort of beyond disappointing and yeah. we're devastated. I, I employ 250, around 250 people uh, here and wow. uh, I've already had um, several of them on the phones crying yeah. and, you know, they're just, I mean, we're, we're just at the end of our tether really, Mike. Um, and were you, you know, presumably you've been closed obviously since this latest lockdown, but were you open since July before that? Yes, we were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just telling your uh, lady we 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 served around seventy five thousand people with right. um, with meals. We right. also have a small hotel. We have that was full. We had, uh, and obviously we've got the bar drinkers as well. And absolutely, not a single case reported in our establishment. Uh, right. That's either neither the customers nor the staff. Right. Um, well, I've never staff. understood this kind of obsession with pubs and, and hospitality because there's no. Uh, evidence whatsoever that people are catching COVID in pubs and restaurants. Well, if if, if the other, I mean, we all want to see the virus gone. I mean, so yeah, of makes, course. Um, we, we there, there there seems to be no justification. It's just an arbitrary decision. Mm. That's a soft target. Let's let's close pubs, restaurants, hotels. Let's let's go to the gym. Let's uh, let's go and let's go and have your haircut. That's fine. Everything else can open next week, but not yeah, us. Right. Um, and will and you get any kind of compensation at all for that, or just furlough money? Well, this is this is the problem, and we, we you know, we're able to pay our staff furlough, but as you know, in the second furlough, then we have to pay the uh, national insurance right. contribution, the pension contributions, yeah. um, and we're doing that. Right. Um, yeah, but it doesn't um, help you as the owner, does it? Because I mean, it's all yeah. very well, and I, I mean, I'm glad that the, the people working there can get furlough money. But but yeah. what about you? Well, we're, we're we're having to put our hands in our pockets again. I mean, we're in a relatively, you know, we're relatively successful, so we're we're, we're fortunate. But mm. uh, how long that's sustainable, I, I just don't know. And and um, I think we've got to press somehow for proper compensation. I, we're offered. Um, three thousand pounds for every four weeks that we're forced to close, um, which frankly isn't isn't even a Monday lunchtime taking. No. You know, it's, right. it's 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 almost an insult. And is there um, any sort of there's no insurance money you can you can get no, or anything? No, it's nothing. just dreadful, isn't it? It really is. But and my my problem, Howard, with all of this is is the kind of randomness of it. Like I said, I mean, if you look at yeah. Kent, it's two very, very, or maybe even three very different areas. You know, there's no, there's no comparison between a place like Bromley in South London and, say, you know, yeah. Dover, you know, but they're in the same state. Yeah, yeah. And we, we have a very similar situation I mean, the, the central derby, uh, which is which is one thing right. um, where we are out uh, in the in the countryside around Ashbourne. Um, yeah, the, the, the case numbers are, are very low, thankfully. Mm. Um I just, I just, I don't know. I wanted to call you, Mike, really, just see if, if 
you guys could put any pressure on yeah. to at least to get some sort of compensation. Definitely. Or, well, we're, listen, know, we're talking to Damien Green, who's been in uh, Tory governments before uh, before the end of this show, and we'll definitely get something out of him and try and see what he can do, because I know he, he's actually one who uh, one of the Tory MP rebels who wants to see this lockdown being lifted in a different way. Because I've got a, a friend who lives in um, uh, on the Kent-Sussex border, effectively, right? And she's telling me that there's a pub on one side of the road, uh, which is in East Sussex, which is obviously open, and the one on the other side of the road is in Kent, which isn't. Yeah, I know, this is, this is exactly the same it's scenario ridiculous. we have. And, and it's, I just feel sorry for all the all my, all my staff, especially, that, that work so hard. And and I've got, um, and also, the, as I say, you know, as I said before, we're, we're fairly fortunate, but if you imagine what the the sort of pub company tenants, those sort of people, yeah. you know, what what they're going through, and the guys with the small cafes and the, mm. you know, they've put all that, they put every penny they've got into it. They're working ninety hours a week, and they're just being destroyed. I know and it's not right. Where is the, where is the cost benefit analysis? Where is where, where when people when Hancock and his merry men or Boris when when they when they decide you know to take this arbitrary action? Where, where's the where's the equation which says? Well, we do this, and this is the benefit. But what are the consequences, and what's the cost? I know. What's the cost financially? But what's the cost in mental health? What's the cost in in everything else? Exactly right. No, it's a shocking state of affairs, Howard. Listen, I'll do what I can. Trust me on that. Uh, I'll talk to as many people as I possibly can because this does need sorting out. It's simply not fair. It's as simple as that. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We're going to talk now to Damien Green, Conservative MP for Ashford uh, in Kent. Kent uh, is a place that's now been put into Tier 3. We just had a caller uh, from Broadstairs who's absolutely incandescent uh, with rage. Damien, a very good afternoon to you. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon, Mike. Uh, I know you've been fairly vocal on uh, on this subject and, and, and wanting the government to, to t- take a slightly different tack on, on, on lockdown and trying to be a bit more flexible. I mean, Kent seems to be a pretty bad example of how they've got it wrong, doesn't it? Well, I, I agree. I mean, what I was arguing, and, and other Kent MPs were as well, um, that instead of having a, a county-wide restriction, mm. because Kent is a you know a very big county with lots of differences between us, and as it happens, uh, it's got some of the highest rates of infection in the country, and also some very low rates. Yeah. Um, that we said we should do it on a borough basis, not on a county-wide basis. So I'm I'm very disappointed. Uh, uh, the announcement this morning and um, so as, as an illustration already somebody's pointed out to me that um, the, the sort of second biggest down in my constituency Tenterden um, has no cases right. at all um, and so people uh, will be able you know won't be able to go to the pub uh, in Tenterden mm. at all it'll be closed they can drive literally five miles to the Sussex border mm. where the incidence is higher and go to the pub there. So right. th- this is the kind of problem you get when you do have these, these sort of blanket county-wide... Well, exactly. Um, I mean, I could do better than that. I've got a friend who lives in Groombridge, um, which is half of the, the village is in Sussex and half of yeah. the village is actually in Kent. And you can go to the pub in Sussex, but not the one in Kent. And, I mean, I always say it's not just about going to the pub. It's about people who own pubs. I had a guy phone me just recently in the last hour from uh, Derbyshire. He's got five pubs uh, across Derbyshire and Staffordshire. They're all in Tier 3. He employs 250 people. He's begging me uh, to talk to some politicians to try and get some better help because he says this time around yes the furlough money will look after his employees but he's now got to pay national insurance he's still got lots of overheads and he's really not getting enough help he thinks to keep him going and if it goes for 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 a month he may end up going under yeah the the only glimmer of being in have hope of being in tier three is that councils do get more grants from central government to help and i hope uh, they'll use that to help businesses because you're you're right it's 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 about jobs it's not i mean all right you know we can all do without going to the pub for a few days but actually if you if you run a pub if you own a pub if you work in a pub mm. you can't do without that because you you need an income and, and so it's it's the business owners rather than the people who you know who will have been furloughed because mm. the, the furlough scheme is working very well but as i say i i i I think, yeah, the, the only sensible thing uh, any of us who are in these areas can do now is is do what we can to make sure that the evidence is there, that when it's reviewed in two weeks, 
that as many places as possible can be taken out mm. of, of Tier 3. Yes. Well, hopefully. I mean, this, if there is a two-week uh, sort of re-examination, that might be helpful. But, I mean, how much of, of, of the testing um, and, the, and the data are you happy about? Because my concern, uh, certainly about... I was talking to another, another um, guy from Kent earlier on who said that as far as... Because I said, why has Kent suddenly rocketed up in terms of infection rates? And apparently a lot has to do with some schooling issues. Um, and I'm not at all confident that all of these results that the, that the government are using to make policy uh, are that accurate. I, I'm, I'm less concerned about that. I mean, clearly, uh, there, you know, there are some problems with testing. No, nothing's 100% accurate. Um, I, I would, I think there's a really good question, which I don't know the answer to, and, and nor do health people I've been talking to, as to why in those parts of Kent, um, districts like Swale and, and Thanet, yeah. where from having sort of average level rates they've suddenly got to be uh the worst rates in the country mm. and, and what's i i think slightly alarming is that it, nobody inside the system um can explain to me why that's happened mm. or indeed i mean to, to look at both sides of it why i mean swale is the adjoining borough to me uh they they've got 600 plus uh infections per hundred thousand <clears throat> in, in 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 my borough of ashford it's 120 mm. and and falling slightly right. so it's radically different now you know people start looking at housing conditions and different communities and so on but the, the, actually nobody's got a, a decent explanation as to why this is happening and i suspect we'll only get it down when we know why it's happening in the first place well exactly right and as far as um, business owners are concerned if, if they do need to try and access some of the money you spoke of which local councils have got is there a, a reasonable mechanism for them to, to to be able to know how to do that um, I, I hope. I mean, it'll be obviously different for, for different councils. So um, each council uh, will will presumably have its own website and, mm. and its own contact details. I mean, I suspect um, rather. I, I, I never like to say anything that suddenly makes thousands of people phone the same no, phone sure. number uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, but uh, so so look online. But but councils. I think most councils have done pretty well mm. at helping their local businesses through through this pandemic. Mm. Um, and and they will be the best place to go for for information about what, you know where the new grants come from for those okay. those areas that have newly gone into tier three. And what's your sense of how receptive the government's been to to guys like yourself in the in the COVID recovery group? Are they are they conscious of political damage that they could be doing as well as financial damage? Yeah, and 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 I mean, nobody, no rational person wants to to damage business. So there is, I, I have sympathy with ministers. There is a tremendously difficult balance to strike, and the argument they're using, which it's it's difficult to. Uh, to argue with uh, is is that the faster we you know we get the rates down, the more we can just unlock the economy and we can all go back to normal and people can run their businesses and have jobs and all that kind of thing. And and I get that. Um, I I think you know there are individual decisions which I take issue with, like the fact of doing it on a county wide basis, not a borough wide basis. But the overall thrust of you know the faster we can get through this, the faster we can you know for instance get a vaccine done, where we we seem to be making big progress, yeah. uh, then the sooner we can all get back to normal. But yeah, nobody's nobody's doing this because they want to do it. They're, they're all doing it very reluctantly. So, yes, yeah. the short answer to your question is they are very conscious of the, the political pressure. And the problem, presumably, for, for those people in Tier 3, as Ken is, if it doesn't come out of it before Christmas, what does that mean for the Christmas rules? Do they get relaxed or what? No, the Christmas rules are are there. So even if you're in Tier 3, yeah, you, 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 as it were, get, get Christmas off. Right, OK. Um, so, uh, but but obviously there there you know there's there's much which is kind treatment. of in and of itself a bit baffling, isn't it? Well, I, I mean, I'm I like everyone. I absolutely enjoy a family Christmas. We always have a big event, all that kind of thing. Um, but there is a a large part of me that thinks you know maybe uh, we should all cool it over Christmas in the hope that we'll get back to normal earlier in the new year and and but yeah it's 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 in all our own hands mm. if if you think like that then then don't push the rules to the limit at christmas actually you know carry on behaving as you have done up yeah. to now and i and i i suspect a lot of people will do that i think most people are eminently sensible in 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 most cases you know they don't want to suddenly have 25 people around for christmas dinner you know i mean most people are probably having christmas dinner with less than 10 people i would imagine and there's no reason for that not to be possible uh, if it's done right yeah, I mean, and you can you can do. I mean, there's all sorts of things in America over Thanksgiving. They were advising people bring your own cutlery. Yeah, yeah. You know, it sounds ludicrous, but actually, of course, it's all that stuff. You know, you you've got you've got a spoon in the bowl of sprouts. Bring your own if, turkey. If everyone, 
If it, yeah, but yeah, so I bring your own sandwiches. Um, that wouldn't be much of a I mean, funnily enough, my mother, right, is 96 years of age. She lives in America. My sister lives in America. She wanted people to come for Thanksgiving dinner, uh, even though she's clearly, you know, um, an, an elderly lady. But she wants to see people. She doesn't want to sit on her own and, and, and self-isolate just because of COVID, you know. Yeah, but I mean, even when you're you're with people, that you know, there are things you can do. You know, stay stay at the other side of the table. Don't you know? As I said, as I said, don't exchange cutlery. Don't use the same spoon to get the sprouts out. Whatever. Right. Um, so it, 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 a lot of it is down to individual uh, behaviour. And and what I really hope is that we don't we're not sitting here in the third week of January saying, oh, look, all the numbers are going in yeah. the wrong direction again. And so, you know, more of the country is going to be in tier three for even longer after yes. that. That's that's the great danger. No, indeed. Well, Damien, thanks very much indeed for talking to us. Hopefully we can uh, see a change in a couple of weeks' time if there is a review uh, of uh, what's going on in Kent, which has, uh, was pointed out to me. They went into the lockdown in tier one. They've come out of the lockdown in tier three. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on on your smart speaker, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid morning with Mike Graham, Talk Radio. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.